that's a triple play. New episodes of Conway. the first game, press play, no need to debate, AOA, check me out, yeah, clocked in, you could catch the hype, golden dawn, how we follow the light, anime like life, uh, married to it, my wife, uh. what is going on, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, people of all ages, welcome back to the AOA show, I'm your host as always, Ian, along with the boys, Isaiah, oh, hi, yo, and Gavin, oh, what is the gushiest of the shoesiest, today, we're talking Tower of God, Part one of two discussions that we're going to go through. So for those of you who don't know, you should know because you read the title of this episode. But we are officially caught up with Tower of God. Yay! Um, so we figured we might as well go out with a bang here and answer a buttload of questions. So we normally will answer the top seven. And then if we have the time to play you know, a little bit of catch up, we can uh, answer some of the other ones that didn't make the list in a second discussion. Lately, life has been really busy. But... We really wanted to do at least two discussions on this one. And not only that, we wanted to include as many questions as possible, obviously keeping our mental state of mind, um, you know, at the forefront. So with that being said, we actually have 10 questions for you today in this discussion, and you can expect another 10 in our second discussion coming out later. So you don't want to miss that. Make sure you guys are liking this video if you like what you saw today, if you like the questions posed, the way we answered them, our discussion in general, etc. Subscribe to the channel and hit that bell if you are new here for more AOA content going forward. Comment your thoughts down below as well. Did you like the questions that were posed? Um, what, how would you would have an, uh, answered some of them? Uh, all that kind of stuff. We're curious to know about it. So without further ado, because we got a lot of ground to cover here, uh, Gavin, want to hit us off with the first question? Roger Dodger. <laughs> Roger, Roger. Question number one, Raja Bronco. All right. Unlike the anime where Shinsu is straight up water, in the webtoon only Hansung and Bam, who learned slash copied it from Hansung, used the water Shinsu. Surprising, uh, surprisingly, even rankers like Delete, the test ranker and owner who seemed to never have seen that type, making it rare. Do you prefer the anime version or do you like it being rare? If so, if there's a second season, would you like it to get fixed? Reminder that Hansung was considered a genius wave controller, so this Shinsu is probably the most pure. Um, I guess for me, I I mean, I is it weird that my answer is I don't really care? It's not like, weird at all because I had the same exact thought. That was I'm your same thought. Well, that doesn't make it not weird. So, that just means you're both weird. That's fair. Yeah, that, that is fair. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll concede that. Okay. We are weird. So, yeah. I mean, I guess short answer is I don't care, but um, I guess there is, it is interesting if it were to be rare, I guess. Like, I I, I can go, I, 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 it swings either way for me, but I mean, the thought of it being rare in a sense, if it was kept that way, I'd be cool with it. But if it wasn't, I wouldn't really care. But I can see why people would get annoyed about it, especially if it was a rarity and they're not portraying it in that light. That would be a little bit of annoying. Um, but I mean, I guess I, I think it's something that hasn't been like directly addressed in the webtoon where it's like water equals rare, you know, it's like you can surmise it being like off of the information that you gave us before as, you know, ev evidence. But like if it's not something that was actually stated by SIU, I guess it really doesn't matter. Um, but if if it's the latter, then I'm wrong and I should care, but I don't. So I guess that that is my answer, short and sweet. Um, yeah, I can go either way, but yeah, it's cool if it was rare, if it was supposed to be. Yeah. So when we were looking at this question beforehand, um, 
we were trying to go over some examples, and Isaiah brought up in the anime how Lero Rowe brings up the the water wall, which does he not do the same thing in the uh, the webtoon at that point? Does he not bring up a water wall? So that was my initial well, question. D- well, he brings up a wall, but again, I think, and I, I could be misremembering, but in the webtoon, like like what they're saying is in the anime, it's made to, like the, the way the Shinsu looks is it looks like straight up and moves like straight up water. Where okay. in the webtoon, it could have been yeah, like, it didn't you know, look like water. Like it okay, was, it was, gotcha. You know. And then the other thing, after just coming off these chapters, it looked like the twin girls that were with the Gus Gus had water elements to their Shinsu as well. Or so it seemed. It seemed it like it, unless, you know, yeah. Gavin and I both saw that. Um, so I don't know. If Point is, it, some clarification would be warranted. So if anyone wants to sound off in the comments about that. But the point being is that I do agree with Gavin wholeheartedly on this one. And I think the the big thing, Gavin addressed it for me, is that if this was something that was specifically stated in the webtoon, right? Whether SIU said it in a blog post, now to be fair, we didn't read roughly the first half of blog posts. We started from like mid-season two. Uh, so this might have been something that he went over earlier. And if so, you're free to correct me on this. Um, that's fair. Or if they addressed it at some point in the webtoon, which I don't remember any point, them saying, okay, water Shinsu or whatever specifically is very rare. It just seemed to be that Han Sung was elevated as this genius. But to me, that I don't I don't necessarily see evidence that the water type Shinsu and Han Sung being a genius are directly correlated. It might just be that's Han Sung Han Sung used style, right? He could have been a genius whatever style he was using it in. That's just what his preference is and what that, you know, what he his affinity is towards. Um I actually I don't care at the end of the day. I almost like it in the anime. And to be fair, maybe this is a little biased because I started with the anime, but I really like the idea that Shinsu has the the similar properties of water. Uh, and I like I like that idea because I like the lines that you know Lero Rowe says in the beginning where he's like, once you get to floor 30, you have to be able to withstand this just in general, right? You have to be able to like there's this I like how they incorporate that element personally. So I actually I guess I'm not surprised that other people, and I guess this is the direction they're taking in the anime can utilize Shinsu and it looks to be reminiscent of water. I don't think that necessarily equates to them being a genius. I just think that Shinsu has been said to have those similar properties. So I think it would make sense for anyone that is proficient in Shinsu or can use it in general might utilize abilities, Shinsu abilities that have water-like properties. So I think it might be, you know, I think at this point, a little bit of a hot take here, but it might be a little bit of nitpicking with some people. Again, if there's a specific thing in the webtoon that states otherwise, then I'm willing to eat my words on that one. But if nothing specifically states it and nothing is going to specifically state it, which to be fair, we don't know for certain, but um, I think it's like, I don't I don't really care. What are your yeah, thoughts? Yeah, at the end of the day, I think it's a little confusing because Shinsu, even in its natural state, looks like water. You know, yeah. So like in the webtoon, like those two twins, for example could have just been using regular Shinsu, but it looks so much like water that like somebody might look at it and be like, oh, isn't that water? Mm. Um, so it's like kind of confusing, at least visually, to draw the line of like what, unless th- some they say like Shinsu style, water, whatever, you know what I mean? Like unless they delineate that this is a water attack, you know, the line visually, it, like it looks color and, and you know, uh, appearance wise, pretty close to water. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, I don't really give two shits to be honest about like <laughs> which version uses what or what because I don't think either either doing it either way 
has enough of an impact on the story for me to be like, well, wait a minute. Uh, like, Hansung still feels like a genius, whether he's using water or just regular Shinsu. Um, so, yeah, I'm cool with either. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, moving on to the second question we have by Paul Gifted. Thank you for the question. Paul Gifted asks, we got a mule love and a Gus Gus appearance. Were you guys satisfied with love's reasoning for coming back? Your overall thoughts on having those two come back. Is there an OG character you wish to see make a comeback? And then also Bear of Ike, uh, we kind of added in on this question. We, we did this a couple times throughout these discussions so you could see it just because they had very similar questions, but we didn't want to exclude it. Time for the important question. Do you prefer fried or barbecue chicken and why? So this is actually a couple questions in one, so I'll try and speed through it. Loved the uh, Mule Love uh, arrival. I mean, during the live stream, definitely want to catch that. Um, we went crazy over that. We haven't had that much of an elated reaction for a long time. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, there's just been a lot that's been going on. And But I remember in the, when we first did these read-throughs in season two and stuff and like certain characters, we, we'd be like, ah, like it'd be this wild thing. And I think that was the really one of the first times in a long while that we were that genuinely excited for it. So it was really cool to see him. I love seeing him surf around and all that kind of stuff. And a Gus Gus, it was really cool to see him. And I like him as a character a lot. Um, am I satisfied with Love's reasoning for coming back? I will give it a pass and say yes for this one. I'm not going to lie. I said this during the live stream. Generally speaking, I'm like a little torn sometimes. You know, I understand the need for the comedic element from time to time, especially when things can get dark and dreary in certain stories or there's a lot of death and gloom and doom and all that kind of stuff. Um, and just because it's a feel-good thing, I can understand that. But I think it has to be injected sparingly and, and purposefully. Um, this is one of those this is one of those things where it's like you could debate whether it was purposeful or not if you could have got to the same conclusion without this but i will say for this one i did actually enjoy it because i thought it was very funny it was very on character to be fair they were stressing this whole chicken love thing from the rip on this so it's not like it came out of literally nowhere um it gave me a good laugh it seemed to give the guys a good laugh too and uh i like it i think it was fine i think to be fair a gus gus in some way does relate this whole chicken debacle uh, to bomb and mules mule loves uh, preconceived notions about what is evil and who is evil because they or they organize or are followers of said evil evil organization etc. So I thought it was fine. Um, the overall thoughts, like I said, on those two coming back, I loved it. Is there an OG character you wish to see make a comeback? Uh, I would like to see. I mean, the first thing that just popped in my head was Novik. Um, I, I liked him as a character a lot. I mean, he I know he's not like the the flashiest or whatever, but I just thought he was cool. But I'm sure there's plenty that we'd like to see come back. Um, and then to answer, time for the important question. Do you prefer fried or barbecue chicken and why? Uh, I prefer fried if I had to choose, although I am not adverse to having barbecue chicken because I just love chicken generally. Uh, it's probably like the food I eat most, I'm not going to lie. So fried though, because... Literally everything tastes better fried. It's kind of hard to go wrong when you fry something. So it's like, I don't know. It's just really good. I remember eating fried chicken quite a bit growing up. You know, like the family would get like bucket fried chicken or whatever was going on, whether it was from KFC or it was from the, the supermarket or whatever. And just like, it's like weird. It might, might sound corny, but I remember a lot of good memories surrounding having fried chicken like because it was just so easy so it was like the, you know if you're with your friends and the kids came over for something or whatever like it just kind of has this weird nostalgic feel in my head in addition to it just tasting fantastic but anyway those are my thoughts on that question you guys take it away um so mule of appearance were you satisfied with his reasonings for coming back um yeah pretty much kind of echo what ian was saying where it's like 
you know, I guess normally, or if you were to use this thing a lot, it like kind of starts to weigh a little heavy because it's like, okay, we can't have like too many people coming back for literally some random uh, odd known reason. But with love, I think it works. Um, And plus it's kind of funny. And like you said, they do kind of take his whole conundrum here of like (laughs) embezzling (laughs) funds out of the company to buy (laughs) excessive (laughs) chicken um, and use it as a metaphor to relate it to like, oh, well, in the same way that you think that, um, you know, I'm using this as a false accusation against you, that type of like, predisposition is exactly what you're doing to someone like bam for like just because he works with folk you assume he's evil and like what it means to be good and evil which when you think about it is kind of a crazy way to get to b from a which is fried chicken <laughs> um so it's cool i think it were i think i like it uh overall thoughts on the coming back is there an og character that you wish to see make come back uh oh og og i would probably say um I believe Coon Hatchling is his name. The 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 Coon that Coon Aguero meets in season one. Remember when he comes into his lighthouse during the uh, oh, the bull test? Yeah, yeah. Um, is that the blueberry one too? Yeah, is he the same but we guy? haven't really mm-hmm. like seen yeah. do any. The where last time we saw him was way back with Quant and uh, Lero Rowe mm. when he meets them and recruits mm-hmm. them into Woolhawk Song. Um, but I don't know. You know, I'm just like, what is he doing? Is he like just chilling Woolhawk cool Song one. now? Um, so yeah, he'd be cool to come back. Um, and then. Uh, Barrett with Fire's question, uh, do you prefer fried chicken or barbecue pick? Barbecued chicken. Um, I love fried chicken. I mean, it's I do feel like unless you're adverse to fried foods, it's kind of hard to not like fried chicken. Um, but I will say as somebody who does actually cook and like likes cooking, I do like making barbecue chicken more because like you can just get a little bit more free and, and, and kind of experimental, so to speak, with like how you make it. If you want, yeah. you know what I mean? Um, so I don't know. I guess my cop about answer is like both. <laughs> I just, I like, I like chicken. I'm Can't a chicken man too. Mm-hmm. Gavin. All right. So, I mean, honestly, you guys kind of nailed it with the, uh, you know, reasonings for love coming back. It just fit with the character. So I won't really beat that one anymore. Um, in terms of characters, uh, I wish to see make a comeback. There's four that I wish. Lara Bro, of course, God, being damn. number one. Quant being number two, because I miss their dynamics so... <laughs> like a package deal, right? <laughs> oh, dude, package deal, love it. Uh, Laurel, uh, they did my man dirty. I need, I need to see him come back in some way, shape, or form. You can, you can shake your head. He's, he's my guy. Um, and the fourth one that I actually <laughs> really, really, really miss as well is Horiang, uh, Teddy Bear, because we haven't really... We haven't seen anything of him, and I kind of like... We honestly really haven't gotten an update on it. Like, I just... Yeah. I, I want... I want. I would I want actually... Solid picks. Just um, add, like... Team Sweet and Sour. That of whole course. Group, yeah. You know, it's like, what are they doing? <laughs> oh, 100%. And then, um, do you prefer fried or barbecue chicken and why? So, both my, so I like fried chicken, although, like you said, who doesn't like fried chicken? I have had fried chicken where it wasn't done well, and that annoys the living crap out of me because I feel like more times than none, fried chicken tends to be made worse or made poorly. Um, I don't, because I don't know. It's always, it's in the skin dog and it's always like greasy and like, I don't know, like you need to make it right. And fried chicken will be top pinnacle. And I feel like it's harder almost to mess up barbecue chicken. So it usually is like good nine out of the 10 times. So it's a safer bet, but, um, yeah, I like them both. So that that is my very, uh, precise reasoning on um, both of them. I like those reasonings a lot. Cool. 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 All right. Third question comes to us from Irene Sharda. Uh, she says, now that we've seen the, the whole thing, can you see, uh, you can see now why we refer to Karaka as Karaka Anki. In this third season, Karaka has been growing closer to Bam, believing in him, instinctively helping him and saving him during battle, guiding him when he needs help, being a reluctant big brother to him. What do you think of these two adopted sons of Jin Sung and how much of their relationship has changed since the beginning of season two? Seeing Karaka's flashback, how has Jin Sung affected both of their lives? 
So yeah, I will be one of the first to say that I love current Karaka, not like that we have it now at the you know or the middle of season three. Um, because I wasn't a huge fan, I wasn't a huge fan of Karaka when we met him and everything leading up to. But I wasn't like I wasn't a fan in the sense that like I hated his character. I just there was nothing there. There was nothing to, for at least for me to get attached to. There was nothing to like to pinpoint and be like, oh, that's a really cool thing about this character other than his aesthetic, which was dope, but it was like, okay, what is what is his actual point? Is he just going to be the the slayer antagonist? Like, is he just going to be the thing uh, on Fug's side that is, you know, that's getting in Bam's, you know, uh, side, so to speak? Um, but this season does a lot to humanize Karaka and really develop a personality in that character uh, beyond, you know, angry slayer. Uh, so I, I absolutely love this relationship. I love, too, that it is very, like, Karaka Sundere, you know, he's like, no, I don't want friends and I hate everybody. But like, what are you doing tomorrow? You know, like, like want Loki wants to hang out with everybody and just, you know, just be friends. Um, I do think it's also interesting, like the dynamic of these three here, Jin Sung, who's like this sort of stoic fatherly figure. You've got Karaka and Bam, who are kind of basically like brothers in a sense, um, where it's it's we, you know, see like the question says, seeing the flashback, Jin Sung's the way Jin Sung uh I guess took the approach to mentoring Karaka definitely seems different than Bam. And I would argue with Karaka, he took a little bit more of a reserved approach, whereas Bam, it was a little bit more of an active approach. And I think the reasoning personally is I think that if Jin Sung is the one who gave Karaka the armor, that means he knows he's seen Karaka without the armor. So he probably, I, I think I would go so far as to say that if my hunch is correct, that Karaka is related to Wang Nan, i.e. also making him related to Jihad, Jin Sung knows that and feels that it's more important for Karaka to stay alive rather than getting involved or becoming such a pinnacle person in this fight that he we he could die and we risk losing the you know our our attachment so to speak to that lineage to that bloodline. So with Karaka, his his ideals are more about preserving and making sure he survives. Whereas Bam doesn't have that connection at least innately, so he's a little bit more okay or uh, understanding, I guess, with the idea of putting Bam out directly on the front lines. Plus, with his whole regular thing and his link to uh, V and Arlene, I think he feels that Bam is better. It's better off because my other thing is I don't even know. We saw this randomly with uh, in Dorsey in the Hidden Floor. I don't know how much this pertains to anybody who might actually be related to Jihad, but I wonder if there's a thing where like Jihad literally has influence over people that are part of it, that are like literally his kin or part of his family, similar to how in the hidden floor, like in Dorsey froze just at the sight of data Jihad. So I wonder if it's like, I, I wonder if it's just that. I wonder if Jin Sung feels that it's dangerous to put Karaka in the same room as Jihad or in the same, you know, place or whatever. So he's like, all right, you, you know, you take this, you, you know, obviously are going to be involved in the fight with Fug, but like, preserve your survival when this when the war is over when the smoke clears when jihad is gone we need someone like you you know here and available and ready to sort of help put the pieces back together this tower where it's like bam he's gonna have to be the one like go in there and dethrone the king um so that's that's my thoughts on that and i overall yeah just really like that relationship in his character mm. Yeah, I mean, good thoughts. I, I really mirror a lot of them. I like your predictions on that, where it's like he could have that freeze mode on him. Um, I always have a soft spot in my heart for this dynamic ever since watching Naruto and getting yeah, yeah. the pain Naruto thing with Jiraiya as their sensei. Like, that just really stuck with me that I'm like, damn, bro, like, you guys aren't, you guys are, like, not related, but you are in yeah. so many ways because yeah. you're upbringing in the sense that you guys didn't have a father like that or, you know, or anyone to mentor you and take care of you speaks volumes because 
when somebody talks of those those memories of the master or the things that you've taught, like you guys are in sync, right? Mm -hmm. Because of like these shared bonds. It's just like, it's very cool to me. I like that dynamic a lot. And uh, I, I like that they, through the course of their fights, have been able to kind of read each other. I think Calavan even comments on it where it's like they kind of read what's going on. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I like it a lot. And I think uh, I've always liked Karaka, but I definitely like this version. It's really cool to see him, you know, fight for the side of good, I guess. <laughs> we'll get into more <laughs> questions about what's good and bad. But, um, yeah, I think it's really cool. He's been pretty sweet from the beginning. I've always liked Karaka and his aesthetic, and I think he's this is a character shrouded in mystery, right? You get some of the other Slayers, uh, you know, your Yamas, uh, White, etc., and uh, they're pretty out in the open in terms of, you know, they're pretty cut and dry in terms of, like, what their motivations are, what they are capable of to an extent, like, those kind of things. Like, you know, White is like, I want to, you know, defeat my father, eat souls, Yama, he's, like, controlling the, or he's a uh, leader of canine people, etc. Karaka has been this weirdly shrouded character in the sense that we don't even know what he really looks like, what his like true, true motivations are. Although it's, uh, you know, obviously to kill Jihad, why, etc. It's like, I think he's really cool and intricate with that. So I like where he's come and I like the relationship between them and uh bomb must drive him absolutely bad shit though, <laughs> because I do feel for Karaka and Karaka's like bomb. Here's the plan. Like, believe me. Because let's remember, Karaka is one smart cookie, right? Like, he was the dude uh, in the beginnings of season two that w was, like, big brain in with all these schemes to try and get bomb. And obviously, he, you know, he was outed in the end uh, by, like, uh, Hwariun and, you know, Kuhn helped and all that kind of stuff. But, like, he keeps on being touted to be this, like, kid genius. He's young, comparatively speaking, for people in the tower. So, uh, yeah, it, it's he, he's got a lot of potential. He's really powerful. He's really cool. And uh, I can't wait to see more of them going forward. Yeah, sweet. I want I want to harp on that last note that you meant because I think Bomb is the best thing for um, Karaka in that sense, where he may want to rack his brain like a million miles a minute, and he may just piss the fuck piss him off like to the highest degree. But like Karaka needs that almost to be knocked off that peg because I get a similar vibe to like Howard Reun, where it's like I'm the all knowing beast, I'm so smart, I know everything, and it's like no, there are other ways around this plan, and there's other routes yeah. that you can take, although they might not seem like the most logistical and probably aren't by any means. You can still reach a a separate means to an end that, you know, could have better results and it is possible. And I do feel like that benefits Croc in a lot of ways that he may not see on the forefront. Um, in terms of his chain uh, development as the story went on, I loved it. I mean, when we first met him again, aesthetically, he looked awesome. He, he just kind of always came off as he has his own agenda and he was like dark to be dark, you know, that kind of like, Oh, I'm evil, blah, 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 blah. but it's like, realistically, he's not. And I really like how they're showing his personality and just how much of a Sundra he is. And I, I don't know. It's just, it, he just makes him a real lovable character. Uh, so I can't wait to see how far he goes in this story and yeah, just watch him grow. It's amazing. And then daddy Jinsong, come on. He's he's like my favorite character. No, no, bro. Yeah. He's like every like he's just such a good guy. And I mean, you 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 just always love. I feel like just in every story, you just love the mentor in some way, yeah. shape, or form. Like I haven't like watched or read anywhere. Like I really just didn't like the mentor for whatever reason in some way. So um, yeah, no, he's just he's amazing. Who doesn't love Karaka or Jinsung? Um, yeah, absolute savage. But we shall move on to question four by Ender Griff. How do you feel about Kuhn's plan that took out the bird? Does it feel like a slight return to the more tactical fights earlier in the series? Um, that plan was a badass. It was kind of awesome. Um, you know, just how they how they set it up. If you watch the live reactions, we were kind of like predicting different things that 
literally were wrong until, you know, the events actually unfolded. Um, I thought it was really creative, really cool. You know, I, I always like to see because as I use creativity, that this kind of tones back to the earlier, uh, the beginning of the series where it was like every fight or every, or not every fight, every test that he would come up with seemed very unique by nature. And like, you know, you haven't really seen it before and they always ended in interesting ways and just like kind of devolved into their own nonsense. And, you know, it's cool getting almost like a similar feeling with that where, you know, it, it looks like it's going to be very cut and dry fights, but he finds a way to just fuse in this interesting little like, like tidbit and it's just it's awesome it's refreshing i really like it um and i want to see more of it because that's just what makes the story great in my opinion and um yeah it's it just it kind of just breaks out of the mold of fight go brute like you know shinsu blah like it just adds a creativity and a, like a little flair to it that uh yeah i appreciate so keep it up SAU. Yeah, I totally mirror your thoughts personally. I I thought this was really cool, especially since some of the regulars seem to be incredibly outclassed, uh, obviously, by some of these rankers and high rankers in this bombastic war that we have going on, this battle. Um, I know one of the things that we had talked about in previous discussions was, okay, how do you supplement, like, how do you have their time to shine by, do you bring in weaker characters, like in the Michael uh, predicament, to go against people like Kuhn and kind of have their own little, like, you hang out at the kids' table while the adults have lunch, you know, type thing? Or do you actively involve them? If you do, can they even do anything? Are they just bystanders? And I thought it was really cool that both Kuhn and Shibasu and and all them came up with this, you know, really interesting and creative plan that none of us really saw coming. We were trying to, like Gavin said, speculate on uh, the million different things that it could be. But when it really came to fruition, it was like, that was cool because that took everyone to get involved on regulars and rankers included to take out that very powerful enemy who was too who was going toe to toe with two of the Baylord brothers who are like no pushovers so it's Mm. like that enemy was no joke so for him to be able to for them to be able to make that plan go off and and to be able to take out a high ranker or ranker was uh pretty incredible stuff and it was pretty cool to see I like seeing that harken back to it and and that's just an example to me of how you can still have have these like big bombastic fights and this power scaling go like way up the roof and still be able to incorporate and not make it feel shoehorn per se with some of these things because that was you know that could be I could see a complaint you know with it because of the power scaling going the way it has we've kind of moved away from some of these trickery style like let's think of this plan and go through where we had a lot of that in the beginning which is something I thoroughly enjoyed so it was cool to see this injected into this uh, large fight. Uh, yeah, I mostly agree. I think that one of the one of the big fight or you know fights uh, moments I'll say like this that really sticks out to me and I always think about is uh, the hide and seek test like way back in season one. Mm. And this, you know, like you guys are saying, really did feel like a return to form in the sense that it's like that in that hide and seek test again. These characters who are regulars are pitted against rankers. And sure, you have these stipulations, for example, like in that test where it's like, oh, the ranker is their opponent, but he like isn't going all out and you can't, you know, he doesn't have access to X, Y, and Z. Um, but that is sort of the nature of this world, of the tower, right? These regulars who have to climb up, you know, floor after floor after floor are... For the most part, I mean, you know, they do make, they, you know, the story makes it a point to be like, because Bam is in our party, that's kind of why we've been exposed to as many rankers as we have. And perhaps this wouldn't be the normal uh, occurrence for a a regular regular. Um, But this is how regulars get up to the top of the tower, right? 
they're not by nature, you know, for the most part, strong enough to just brute force their way through any obstacle. They have to think. They have to outclass or outsmart whoever their opponent is by means of, you know, getting stronger allies on their side, you know, coming up with some adverse, you know, trick or mechanism or whatever to get themselves ahead. Mm. And like you said, this opponent, you know, which was stumping two of the the Baylor brothers, you know, was a very tough opponent. So these, you know, it was cool to see, like we said, everybody come together because this isn't something, in a way, this is not something that is new to them, right? This is how they got to where they are now. They, This is, you know, coming up with these plans, analyzing their, their enemy, finding their weaknesses, and using any means they can to exploit them. That's, that's this is what they they know how to do, and you combine Isu's in natural intelligence with Kuhn's ability to strategize. I mean, this is an incredibly deadly team that we have here, and the plan, this plan proves it. Mm, well said. All right, moving on to question five. We have by Pipe Dream, regular here. Thank you for the question. Long one. Finally, we got to this beautiful hug we've all been waiting for. After all this time, what do you think about Kuhn and Bomb's relationship? In my opinion, this is one of the first times Kuhn realized he can't keep protecting Bomb all the time if they want to accomplish their goals, and yet he won't allow Bomb to lose his humanity even though he is completely aware of how the tower works. Like he says, the the fact that Bomb cared about the souls is what makes him different, not only from Kuhn and White, but from Jihad. The God of Guardians compared Bomb to Jihad so many times by pointing out how Bomb had something else about him, and I think that's why. Everyone in the tower is used to death, but still Bomb never treats it lightly, not even right in the middle of war. Do you agree with Kuhn? Is Bomb not losing his humanity the way he, uh, the way he can win against Jihad, even as a member of Fug? That's a good question, a uh, long one, so I'll try and break this up one at a time. Uh, what do you think about Kuhn and Bomb's relationship based, I guess, you know, just in general sense and, uh, you know, the, talking about the hug? Um, yeah, it was, a, it was a really deep moment. And, um, you know, Kuhn is, has been an, an OG friend from the very start um, with Bomb. And Bomb and Kuhn have helped each other grow. I would argue that Bomb has helped Kuhn grow even more so. And Kuhn has done a great job at grounding Bomb and making sure he still uh, sees his sense of self-worth in himself and realizes that he is doing the right thing. So I think that they play off each other very well. They're just fantastic. Uh, they're just fantastic friends at that point. I think their relationship is awesome, honestly. Uh, you need someone like that if you're going to go through <laughs> this, you know, this story that we have in Tower of God. This is like... You know, you're not just going to the deli and picking up a sandwich. Like this is this is you're going to beat Jihad and you got, you know, Rachel was a thorn in the side and potentially still could be and you don't know who you are and I could go on and there's all this kind of stuff. So I think it's really cool their their relationship and uh this is why Kuhn is definitely one of the stand the standout characters in this series. You could definitely see why. Um kind of going down here. Uh the God of Guardians, everyone's how are you to death. Uh do you agree with Kuhn that Basically, Bomb not losing his humanity is the way to win or, you know, that he didn't lose his humanity. Uh, don't lose it and you are different from us. Uh, I, I do. I do. I joked around about this uh, with this in the stream and I think there are, you could peel back layers and layers in terms, you know, and have a philosophical argument on what constitutes as goodwill uh, as evil, your intentions being in the, uh, you know, uh, playing a factor in it. Um, even if your intentions were good, but you still went through with the act, does it matter, right? Like, we could really break that down. That's a whole week's worth of discussion right there. But just to try and keep it simple, I think especially within the confines of this story, I do think it's relevant. I do think it's very relevant that Bomb genuinely gives a damn about each person uh, who is either sacrificing their life or their soul to help towards this cause. 
Uh, whereas some people are just willing to disregard them like garbage, i.e. jihad, right? That's kind of the big, di the big difference between the two of them. Um, so I do think, you know, in the final analysis that it, that is something that is true. I also find it interesting because Caliban gives bomb a little bit of the sauce when they're first fighting and says that you're not worthy to be king. You're never going to touch him because jihad is able to see the bigger picture and you get so wrapped up in the moment with all of these things. It's like, you can't keep your head on straight, which on an analytical sense makes you know, make sense. But I do think it's interesting how Caliban, and I'm sure we'll have, we have questions about him, but then towards the end of that fight, um, we see that he genuinely gives a damn right about all of the soldiers and, and he makes a different choice. He, he, he opts to let them go and go on a suicide mission essentially. Um, but he doesn't take it lightly at all. So in a sense through Caliban's actions, I feel like he almost just, his human side came out in that moment. And uh, so just to relate it to Bomb, I think Kuhn is right. Uh, and I think that is going to be a very important um, thing for Bomb to do in terms of not losing to Jihad. Because I would argue, and this is where I think the story really comes to an interesting head for me, you know, we see, again, I'll, I'll echo this, but we've seen this story through the lens of Bomb and team, right? And Bomb genuinely is a good guy from what we, you know, from what we've seen. Um, that doesn't mean he's perfect. Nobody is. And, uh, but I am interested because we're on floor 52 and we got, you know, what, 70 more floors to go, 80, something like that. Um, where, what the other things that Bomb is going to have to do in order to ascend in this climb when he versus more powerful opponents. Now, White has his full power. How does that go down? If White starts going ham, like, where is the Reaper, you know, like, is that blood on your hands, etc.? There's a lot of pieces at play here. So, depending on how you look at it, Bomb is going to have to do some pretty shady crap to get to that point. But I think the most important thing will be Bomb not losing himself and keeping that mindset that it's like, I don't take any of this lightly at all. Because when he gets to there and if he dethrones Jihad, if it's implied that, I don't know, if Bomb's going to be the person or he's going to be the person to instill new values in the tower and new people, um, that if he lost his humanity along the way, then I would argue that we have just Jihad V2 uh, because I think that's been mirrored a lot where it's like, you're literally super similar to Jihad. You're just not a shit bag, you know? And I think that's going to be the ultimate thing. Sorry, I went off there, but that was a long question, a very deep one. So anything you guys got on that one? Um, I, so for, yeah, taking from the top, uh, it was a very beautiful hug, very beautiful scene. Um, I absolutely love this relationship. Uh, I am definitely one of the people who can who sees this relationship, whether it is platonic or not, um, as just one of my favorite relationships in this entire story. I love the way that these two, uh, you know, bounce off each other and reflect each other, and I love the way that these two help each other to grow. It's not just about like, oh, thank God Kuhn is here because like Bam really needs someone like Kuhn, but it goes both ways, um, and they both ha they both have had this happened to them and we've seen which i think is the more important thing we've seen genuine change come out of both of them as a direct result from the other right so like you were saying before we've seen bam able to remain grounded because of coon's you know speeches and and you know all the the insightful advice and words he's given him um and like you know on the other side we've seen coon open up more and start expressing and and furthermore fighting and wanting to protect the things and people that are around him and closest to him uh, as a result of Bam. So yeah, I absolutely love this relationship. It's, it's, you know, again, just one of, it's one of my all time favorite relationships in this whole story. Um, and then uh, he says like, what do you, 
the God of Guardians. Sorry, this is a very long question. No, I know. Um, <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Ah, all right. Do you agree with Kuhn? Uh, so, yeah, in regards to the whole, like, Bam's mental state and, and all that. Um, yeah, I do. I, I think I definitely also think that it is important, in, especially in this context, to understand that what, like, where these people's heads are at and what their intentions are. Because I think it is easy to take anybody's actions that are defined as evil or morally, you know, wrong to do and just like be like, oh, you're you did a bad thing that like you're a bad person. But I personally don't believe that good people are immune to doing bad things. Um, and I don't think that like just committing an act that is, you know, deemed on the scale of black or white immoral or wrong makes you evil. Uh, I think that scale is far too, you know. It's not intricate enough, quite frankly, uh, to, to actually judge like a person because people are very complicated, very messy, and they're very unique. Um, so I think, yeah, the difference here with someone like Bam, where it's like even that even as he's having to use those souls and even, er, you know, earlier couple chapters as, as he's watching all the people, all the dead soldiers and stuff like floating by him and he's looking at all the all the death around him. Um, yeah, Bam, he has that moment where he's like, no, I have to look at this. I have to I have to you know, understand and comprehend and reconcile with like what I'm seeing. I started this fight. These people are going to die for me. I have to seal myself. But ultimately we see in, in this moment here in his interaction with Kuhn, that that's not something that he can do. And I don't think it's something he wants to do. Right. Bam is not going to be a character. And that's how you said this in his blog post. And I completely agree that will ever uh, become desensitized to death. He will always see somebody die. And regardless who it is or what the circumstance is, it's going to hurt. It's going to hit him. And that, that is good because that, piece of the puzzle right there I think is the most important thing that's how he stays different even if now sure you can make the argument that depending on what immoral or wrong act he may have to or you know does end up committing in the future it's like oh you've gone past the point of no return for me or you've crossed you know this this uh immovable line that like even if you come back you know and seek redemption like whatever but I think the intent especially in this story because it's not this story doesn't work you know, like real life in the sense that like in real life, for the most part, the, the, the big immoral actions, right. you got your killing, your, your stealing and, and whatnot. Um, you can pretty much get away with a, living a whole life of like not doing, if you really like discipline yourself and like really, you know, uh, like understand that and, 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 you know, work to it. But that's not the tower. That's not the, the world that these people live in. Uh, just has a different literal set of foundational rules. It requires a different kind of person to exist and live in it. And I actually think what's interesting about this reaction, interaction is that it harkens on the the fact that when Bam first started his climb, he had the very typical shonen protagonist mindset of like, no, everybody's getting saved. Nobody's dying. Like, I'm going to, you know, do everything and be the kind of savior, you know, the perfect savior which doesn't exist in, you know, the tower and as a weird reflection of real life doesn't really exist anywhere. There is no, this idea of perfection and always doing everything right, again, doesn't make sense. It takes out all the, the, com the complexity that exists in every little bit of gray area that there is in not only, again, the real life, but in this tower, right? It is impossible for Bam to get all the way up to floor 134 without doing a single immoral act, right? So if that's the, if that's the statement, if that's what we're going in with, if there's no way that he can get to jihad without doing that, well, then your your scale has to be, all right, then he's evil, and I don't care if he makes it to the top or not. That's it, done, done. Or 
okay, he did that, but why did he do that? What was the intent? What was the reason behind him having to do that? And does he care that he had to do that or not? Would he do it again? You know, again, thinking about like white, would he just do it again willy nilly on a dime, not really giving two shits about the souls he's eating? Um, or does he sort of break down in an emotional crying fit? You know what I mean? Like that to me, that is what matters. So I do think Kuhn is right in the sense that like, Bam has this level of humanity that will always keep him, hopefully, always keep him separate from people like Jihad and and White. Um, and, yeah, that's it. <laughs> All right, I'm going to be real with y'all. Um, I ain't even going to try to attempt to climb that mountain that both of you just put in front of me because, um, damn, that was... <laughs> you hit the nail on the head and built a whole house, quite frankly. That was, that was awesome. Um, completely agree. I guess if there's one thing that I have to add... Um, is that SIU, if you need a cameo in this for their relationship in terms of getting a wedding planner, oh um, <laughs> I can I can make an appearance in this story and like I can I, I can tie that out between them and you know I can make it happen real what's, what's that um, the role, what's that role called of like the person who um uh, you know, who, uh, yeah like um, who like what is it called who, like, who like orates the marriage yeah. yeah um the priest no no well no. they're not a priest there's actually a name yeah for there's it. like a there's a specific oh, like yeah. uh like role oh of, like, somebody I forgot who can, like, what it is oh it's on the tip of my tongue marry somebody yeah an ordain ordain yeah ordain, ordain. bam yes. I will I will Woo! ordain wow. Coon and Bam's marriage arrange it and plan the entirety of it SIU. Give me a cameo in Tower of God. I'm not asking much. I'm not asking much. Who asked for a cameo? No one, right? No, just me. And you love me, and I love you. And then when Gavin dies it. on floor six, because inevitably he won't make it that far, <laughs> whoa, 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 uh, I would whoa, whoa, love whoa. to be the second ordain. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Ordains <laughs> cannot be killed. I don't know if you've met an ordain, but they are invulnerable. <laughs> invulnerable. I'm just going to say. I just want to see Gavin drawn as a Tower of God character. That's really all, all, all I want to see. I'll chill on floor one. I'm <laughs> seeing. He's like, I don't do tests. I'll just hang out here. I'm vibing. <laughs> no, I try. Why not? <laughs> You're in the tower. You might as well go for it, right? You get sniped. You're like, like, whatever. You die. You're like, eh, whatever. Whatever, dude. Like, what am I gonna chill out in like bum city here? Like floor one. Get out of here. <laughs> We're going for it. If Wang not made it to like twenty before he was having problems. I'm at least gonna yeah, try. Wang Nine's the king of jihad. <laughs> true, true. I would like to throw one minor wrench in here, and I don't. Not that I want to debate this, but I am curious to have uh, people sound off in the comments because I love doing this stuff. Is there a certain point for you, uh, anyone listening or watching right now, where even if a person has the best intentions in mind, or if they do feel for the action they are committing, is there a line that you draw in terms of? Um, not excusing them for still committing said action. So if someone genuinely feels for something that they're going to commit, to commit and they do believe genuinely that it is for the highest good, uh, do you excuse them no matter the action? Or is there a place where you draw the line with that? Um, and like, what's the difference there? Because I, I do think that if we wanted to, we could go into a discussion about, you know, depending on what bomb continues to do, uh, if there's only so many times, if there's so many times that he breaks down and cries about it, it's like, that's a nice sentiment bomb, but you still have continued to go through with those acts. Not that that's necessarily what I'm arguing, uh, but I do find it interesting because I can definitely see that rebuttal and that counter argument to it. And it's something that I, you know, I've just been thinking about in general um, with this discussion and just on a, on a general sense, like where is the line? Do you draw, do you draw any line and why? But anyway, just wanted to pose that to you guys. Um, um, all right. 
Question six comes to us from Smile Please. Thank you. They say, uh, now that you are caught up, what do you think is the biggest weakness of Tower of God as a story, and what is the biggest strength, in your opinion? Um, all right, I'll start in order here. Uh, the biggest weakness, I think, is that I do think that overall, out of all the three seasons, Tower of God does tend to lean into, um, I don't quite know how, like, so I was going to, I wanted to say like, it, it tends to lean a little bit too much into predictability sometimes. And I think a lot of the times, especially with like the, when, when it comes to wrapping up an arc and getting to that like big, you know, uh, closure moment of the of the of each arc i do think it leans a little bit more into going like the safe route instead of what might be the more interesting dynamic and like sure possibly controversial uh option in terms of like how what characters do how a particular arc wraps up um but i think a lot of times i i personally um can't help but feel like we'll get to certain arcs and regardless whether i thought the arc was good or bad because even you know predict even an ending as predictable as it is if it's good like i like it um i can't help but be like oh man but like i wonder what like if this character just did this instead or like and then the first thing in my head that i think of is i'm like i could like some people probably wouldn't like that but in in my mind i don't know as a like and you know don't be wrong i'm no fucking reader so like you know fair enough i'm just talking out of my ass but like there is something to me that like always hits me when I can acknowledge that like a writer decided to take the risk and decided to go with an option that they knew maybe wasn't the most popular one or wasn't the most predictable one or the, the safe route. I guess that's really what I'm getting to um, where it's like, oh, I need the main character and characters X, Y, and Z to be here at the end of this arc. So, okay, I can have them go here and then here because then logically they'll be here and we can move on. Or I could have them go here, which will actually put one of them back here. And like, you know, and it's like, I don't, you know, again, figuring out the pacing and structure, like, you know, that's not, I'm, that's not what I do. Um, so fair enough that there's complications in that. But I, I guess I do always acknowledge when a writer is like, yeah, that's a risky uh, gambit to take. But like the payoff is just so much more neatly interesting. And again, I just think as a viewer, if you're able to identify that, you like you you get a little bit more you know uh, like praise and 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 uh, you know uh, pride, I guess, in in that you're like, oh, okay, you like you you went this way, you sort of like went hard and you took this risk, and I appreciate you for doing it. Um, so yeah, that's what I would say to at least for me is that that, that has been its biggest weakness um, and biggest strength. I will a hundred percent say is the characters. But like most of, if not all, like a lot of the characters in me, I have said this a lot of the times and I, you know, it is my, like, I'm a character guy. I let your story could be the most interesting, fascinating thing that talks about the most interesting, uh, complicated human issues. And it takes place in this like ridiculous, crazy, heavy, like, you know, fantasy world that's got like, you know, fucking the grass turns into lava on Tuesday. Like, you know, like just some weird, wacky shit. But like if the characters are cardboard or ass like i don't care <laughs> i'm not watching or reading it i don't want to know and i don't care because everybody that i have to interact with and connect with i can't so like in my mind what's the point but i do genuinely like with that with the weakness that i was talking about very few times do i think personally that falls on the characters um i i really do love all these characters in this story and i really do love the way that they move the story i think this is a very there is a plot here, obviously, and there's a, a central focus on, like, the setting and the world and stuff, and, like, that that has a place in this story. But 
you know, arguably, if these characters weren't as strong as they were, again, like, I wouldn't care why Bam wants to go up the tower. I wouldn't care why Jihad is king of the tower. I would, like, you know what I mean? E- even the villains, even the people. This I'm That's the other thing. I'm not really... I like more villains in this story than I've ever liked villains in any story. I genuinely am not the guy who like is like, oh, but I actually like the villain. I'm usually like, no, they're kind of batshit crazy and fuck them. Um, (laughs) But like when it comes to anime and just most content and stuff that I consume, but with this story specifically, there's a lot of villains in it that I'm like, no, I fuck with you. Or it's like, because at the very least, even if I like don't like them, I get it. Like, I get why they're doing what they're doing. I get why they're here in this position that they're in. And I get why they're saying the things they're saying. It's just me, again, me not liking it or, or not agreeing is one thing. But it's not that I don't understand it. It's not that I don't get where those characters are coming from. And again, that makes them feel, even if I feel like they're <laughs> messed up or not, it makes them feel like people to me, right? I understand their motivations and why they want to do the things they're doing. And I just, I absolutely love that. Well said. Gavin, what do you think? Oh, Gavin. <laughs> Lord Harry. All right. Um, smile. Biggest weakness. I got to make this attack on you. It's in Dorsey. I mean, come on. It's the biggest weakness tower got off. Yeah, you didn't think I was going to do it. You didn't think I was going to go there. But I did smile. It's in Dorsey, and we all know it. Okay? We all know it. Nah. Why is she weak? No. <laughs> I love it. No, but um, all jokes aside, um, biggest weakness, similar to what Isaiah's initial point was, plot armor dog. Oh, is it thick? But I mean, uh, to be fair, it's like if I'm being honest, it's it's in almost every story in some way, shape, or form. the The only thing is when it's when you're in situations like these fights, when you just know like nothing bad is going to happen to the main character. Like for example, in our live stream, I think there was literally a point where Bam's shield broke and he was about to get hit by Caliban's next attack. Next attack, and I was literally like, "All right, who's going to jump in and save him?" And yeah. then no, like. He literally was saved. You know, Dumont, I think, made an appearance. And it was like, yeah. that's the thing. It, it, it does take away from those fights in that moment because there, it, there's no risk. You know, it, it kind of, that is swept out from under you. But then again, it's warranted given the story and how it's built. So you kind of like, it, you know what you're getting into and you expect it. But at the same time, that is a weakness. Um, in terms of my strength. Obviously, characters take the enchilada in terms of, like, the most, the biggest strength of this entire story. Um, A secondary thing that I appreciate and that I love the most um, is actually the creativity also, especially in the beginning of this uh, series with the tests that they had. I absolutely loved every single one of them, liked the thought process, liked the end result, absolutely amazing. And although it is straight away a little bit from that, the way in terms of how it was run in that regard, um, I still love it. And um, they usually, now it's, the characters are very creatively drawn and um, or have creative abilities that are interesting. And you just I, I like seeing that. And um, it's cool when you also read his blog posts and like his interpretation and just like how daily life stuff also is like influenced in terms of characters and how they're created in terms of what they do uh, just makes it that much more refreshing because I don't know, it gives you that other di- that other side to the story that I don't know, it, it ties it up in a nice uh, pretty pink bow for me. Um, and I appreciate it. So Yep, sorry, Smile. You can uh, pick a better waifu. <laughs> <laughs> that was beautiful, Gavin. That was, beautiful. That was pretty good. He's going to be so mad at me. <laughs> well, it's true. <laughs> uh, so I'll go in the reverse order here. I think the biggest strength, and by the way, you guys nailed that because uh, I agree with uh, virtually all the statements you all made. Um, I think the biggest strength, in my opinion, is the world building in the story. I think that... This story has done such a good job at making me genuinely curious about what 
the cult, different cultures of each floor, the different aesthetics of it, like these floating fortresses down to the laws that they have enacted, down to these groups, whether it be FUG and these answers. And I feel, I feel like that all envelops world building, right? What is morally right and wrong? Um, you know, these like large scale battles, the, the cool artifacts that have been hidden, right? Whether it be like cool weapons or swords and kind of like this whole lore, I guess maybe more than world building the lore in general, if I wanted to, you know, pick a more broad term. But I do think that is one thing that has fascinated me from the start of this story is that this is like, I always, from the beginning, I was like, what is this tower, right? Like, what if I was in this tower? Like, this is crazy. Like in the beginning where they have this giant eel and now he's transported to this large field, right? And then from there, how they're like in this, you know, place and they got like soda machines and all that kind of stuff. And like all of, all of these like world building things I think are very interesting. And when you break them down, I think it just makes for something that's very eye catching and appealing. So that's, I think the biggest strength in my opinion, but I do, but obviously the characters are great. And I do mirror what Gavin was saying as a secondary, I love the intricacy uh, and creativity when it came specifically to the tests and how the main characters navigated through those and sometimes were able to beat enemies that were by for all intents and purposes much above their league um even though some of them had nerfs from time to time fair enough but i do think that's very cool i like this idea that it's not that you're just gonna punch them out per se although i do love a good fight who doesn't um, that they have to find these very intricate ways and they have to use their synergies as a team and provide decoys and all this kind of stuff. And then, you know, like just the tests themselves. Uh, it's super simplistic, but I loved the test with the the clock and the door the door test where Rack kicks down the door. It seems so silly because it seems so easy, right? But like when you thought about that in hindsight, what it did for Kuhn's character for establishing, this is Kuhn, these are his weaknesses. Are, you know, let's move on, right? It was a really cool thing to, to do that. I think the tests and the, how creative they are were able to play off some of the characters' strengths and weaknesses and kind of give us a little bit more, um, you know, uh, information and enlighten us on those characters that we love so much through the world building and through the uh, the creativity of the, the tests and the way they frame the story. I really love that. Um, the weakness, I would agree with these guys, I think is uh, predictability. And as, as Gavin said, plot armor, uh, super thick. I'm not going to lie. One thing that kind of drives me up a wall from time to time, um, and I think Gavin, you know, summed it up in the plot armor is really what it is. But sometimes I get, I, I know during live streams, I'll joke around and I'll be like, why didn't that person die? Right. And I don't always mean that. Sometimes I do, <laughs> but you know, most of the time I'm just joking around because I know somebody really stands that character. And it's like, what do you mean? Uh, but I do think to an extent, if, you know, obviously I'm not saying they have to just ax characters for the sake of axing them. Mm -hmm. I do think there should be a purpose, just like I was saying before with the um, injected doses of comedy, right? With the fried chicken bit. Um, I do think that if it works, it works. But I, I will say I'm not a writer, so this is just one opinion. Um, but that I think there were some opportunities probably within, throughout the course of the story where they could have probably... Um, you know, either killed a character or made uh, a more risky decision. Doesn't have to be a death, but like Isaiah was saying, where it was okay. This this might not be this might be a controversial ending to this arc or a controversial thing that I've done or something that is going to make me have to kind of rethink how I'm like putting some of the story going forward. But it's a risk I'm willing to take because it might not pay off. It might, and I do agree with you wholeheartedly that I think for me that's something that I notice 
and fully respect at the end of the day. And it's not easy, right? I think the easy, sometimes the easier route is going the predictability route and the, the plot armor route because you always know you're going to get the people to be like, oh, I love my main character. I love my favorite character and I want them to be around as long as I possibly can. And I love where the, you know, the story is going and it's hard to have more complaints against that. Um, but I do think as a long-term strategy, it's sketchy in the beginning, but I think if you could pull it off and really have those oh shit moments or there's moments where it's like subverting our expectations as viewers and if you can show that you're fearless in story making and pull those things off, I think that sometimes it could pay dividends for you in the future. I mean, one show that I will always refer to in this, at least in the uh, in the uh, earlier stages, was Game of Thrones. With this spoiler alert, when you know when they kill Ned Stark, um, mm. which was like a total like blew my actually literally blew my mind. I was like, you literally just killed your main character. It was literally the main character of the show, and I was like, how do you make a show from here? But what do they do? They literally made the show from there. And it was really damn good. And you realize that it was like, it gave some other characters time to shine. And it was funny because they still utilized the name of Ned Stark, even though he was dead throughout the course of the story to drive it. So it was like he was dead, but he wasn't. I just, that's always my go-to example. But I, uh, my point is I really appreciate when the stories do that. And I would say that one of the weaknesses of Tower of God is that it definitely strays to the side of safety you know, nine out of 10 times. And it's something that I would like to see shaken up a little because it would definitely throw me for a loop and kind of get me re-engaged to be like, oh, where do we go from here? How do we do this? You know, now that the X thing has happened, right? Instead of being like, all right, I already have a pretty good feeling of like where this is going. Um, but that's my answer to that question. All right. So question number seven by X Guerrera. Guerrera. Gavin <laughs> 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 Cat calling him right now. <laughs> Gotta give it some of that flair. All right. What are your thoughts on Laboric? Um, If you remember a few chapters ago, Yasiracha was wondering where the hell Laboric came from. He said there was no info about him and uh, there was no info about him and that he became a squadron commander very suddenly. Laboric also was turned into a squadron commander by Adori Jihad herself and receives orders from her directly, and it seems like he is not scared of Caliban at all. What do you think he's hiding? Uh, there are some theories that he might be from Jihad's organization called Red that is full of crazy assassins. Lopo Bliren uh, from Season 1, or Riceball, uh, <laughs> is from that organization. Okay, so, thoughts on Laboric. Um, he's a lying sack of crap um and he needs to be lit on fire and thrown at a brick wall um yeah so that's that's no no he's an asshole dude he's, he's no, literally he just a lying piece of crap so yeah my thoughts are he's trash um Kevin's like i will fight yeah, you honestly. i will fight i will fight in him um yeah there's no redemption that i see um and so in terms of where he came from uh it's interesting because that organization that um rice ball was in red um, I guess in a way I could see that, although I, it would be interesting the fact that he would become a squadron commander coming from red, because if I'm not mistaken, uh, back when we learned that rice ball was from said organization or from red, that it was very top secret in terms of jihad. Like it was almost like the secret, secret service of like his people. And that if he ever needed to get rid of somebody, he would said, send said assassin after them, but their names weren't known in the tower. Like it was very, it was on the DL. So I feel like it's almost counterintuitive to take someone from said organization and put him on a pedestal like being a squadron commander um, because 
just by the fact like Yasiracha is asking questions like mm-hmm. I don't know I feel like that almost undermines the whole red like community that he has built or organization that has been built to be as secretive as they are I, I don't know I just feel like there's a weird um like contra not controversy but um I, contradiction I yeah contradiction there um yeah so I don't know if he would be from that organization however with that said I also don't know where he would come from I mean this tower is they have been known to groom people. I mean, look at the princesses and, you know, pick out just anybody who is um, a top, like, competitor or has a lot of potential. They There is, like, so many people out there to grab them, groom them into, you know, really powerful beings in this tower. So he could also just be, you know, the result of that in terms of just a kid, had a lot of potential, almost a prodigy, maybe ha- was like a nobody and, you know, was almost picked up in a sense. Although knowing Jihad, he really probably wouldn't pick up anybody who didn't have a name to back them. So he would have to come from, I guess, some entity or um, someone in the tower known by name to where he would even give him the time of day because I just don't see Jihad being the type of guy who would pick someone off like, you know, like poor little Billy Bob from X town and like, oh, now you're squadron commander because I see the potential in you. Like, I almost feel like there needs to be a name of some sort of said family backing it to like... Some like verification. Yeah, some verification. Like, I just don't see him going out of the way for some person, especially if there isn't anything tied to him. Um, But with that said, if there's no information that can be backtracked for that in terms of a family name, uh, it is is a very interesting case in terms of just where he could come from. I mean, I don't see him being an irregular of sorts. Um, But yeah, I I really... I don't know. Um, Unless he was groomed or raised to be in this position or like a product of um, the workshop or something, which I really don't agree with. I guess red could be an option, but I I don't know. I just, I do see it not being the case, but I don't know. Maybe you guys disagree with that. Uh, Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, So I, I do think that uh, first off, he's trash. I hate him (laughs) literally with every fiber of my being. He's the pinnacle of why I hate Jod's empire basically, because it produces people like this. Um, uh, so my thing is that, okay, either A, sort of what Gavin was saying, where he's, uh, you know, he is from some special place, some special family. He was, you know, a part of some you know specific group or organization that Jihad knew about or that really, uh, like, sided with Jihad when the, when his whole empire came to rise and take power um, and, and then recruited him to be a part of this red, like, super, you know, secret assassin team. Or I do actually think that there is a, a, uh, a stake in the more crazier theory that he's not a natural born person, but that he was made like in the workshop. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn. And so the reason that I think that is because, to, well, so to be honest, I'm going out on a limb, but the, the di- dialogue he uses when he's talking to Miss Chenny, I believe, when they're in that little uh, conference or whatever, um, and I believe... Yeah, Miss Chenny is talking about all the recent stuff that like that is going on with Calvin and on the battlefield and stuff. And he says, you know, paraphrasing here, but that Cal- he believes Calavan to be unfit to be a leader because the only types of people that should be in Jihad's army are, I believe, like something along the lines of like zealots and like diehard followers or people that are like in, in depth um, worshippers to Jihad, basically. This, like, there's something about this character's personality that almost seems, like, verbatim robotic, right? Like, that there isn't an ounce of human emotion or 
you know, emotional intelligence at play when he's making decisions. And I, I would say that there might be a, you know, a claim here that it's not because he's just like super analytical and doesn't use his emotions, but rather he doesn't have any, he was created in the workshop um, amongst probably some other, you know, synthetic life forms that we will maybe meet, you know, going higher up in the higher floors um, that Jihad had made to serve this high in his army. This person takes their orders directly, directly from Endori. Endori is one of the only people that communicates directly with Jihad. I don't think you get to be in Adori's good, like, graces unless you are, like, you know, you have to be almost as loyal as Jihad is to him, you know what I mean, to himself in order to, to be in that sort of circle. And I think the only kinds of people Jihad could trust in that circle, although, you know, fair enough, he's not relating or relaying directly with Jihad himself, um, but is somebody that he doesn't have to worry about being a Caliban where it's like Caliban has been very, you know, disciplined and steadfast to his loyalty in jihad but at the end of the day caliban is a person and like we see in these chapters he can succumb to his human emotions and his connections and bonds with people and make decisions against jihad's army jihad can't have that ever so if you had a synthetic person who theoretically literally didn't have to worry about that because that's just quite simply not a factor jihad has the perfect soldier and so i don't i don't think it's out of the realm to to assume that like you know maybe this person is not a human in the sense that they're a natural born being but that through the workshop and you know the myriad of crazy fucking items that we know jihad has um that this this thing is a man-made soldier interesting theory um i'm not going to dispute it because i have no clue <laughs> but uh, i mean you you back it up pretty well because i was just genuinely thinking uh when first reading the question here that this guy is just the like perfect Machiavelli Machiavellian archetype where it's like this dude is like just like there he doesn't emotion doesn't play a factor into it because like quite frankly he's like I don't have time for that shit um you know this is what it is these are the facts uh people like Caliban more than Jihad in this and therefore that poses a problem to us uh if you are of that Machiavellian mindset you'd probably respect this guy in the sense that this guy is just like yeah I saw what had to be done and I did it um Okay, fair enough. You know what I mean? I guess, you know, respect there uh, if that's what you want to do. Uh, from a viewer perspective and just knowing the story as we know it, definitely a certified prick. So, I mean, there's that. Um, so, yeah. But, I mean, like, I I guess I under – I guess – and I don't mean this as a defense because I don't like this guy at all. But I understand. Uh, you know what I mean? Why? Yeah, crazy. <laughs> I understand, although it's, you know, wrong in the grand scheme of things, I understand why he makes that move. Uh, and the guy must be really strong because he doesn't seem to fear Caliban's retaliation. And Caliban is a literal moving rock or fortress. tank. Fortress. Yeah. yeah, as he was referred to. Um, this guy just laid the hurt on, like, everyone in this arc. <laughs> like, yeah. everything you throw this dude, he's like, ah, damn, blew my arm off. And okay, <laughs> you know, Even like, worse, like, he low-key told Caliban to blow up his own army. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It wasn't even like Caliban, like that had to happen or it's like, let him go. Don't do it. He like gave him the order yeah. to, to like, to not, you know what I mean? So it's like there, that, and that, so that's where I get like, not to cut you off, but like with Caliban, cause Caliban, when we met him seemed like that, he seemed like this Machiavellian, like I do what has to be done. Jihad tells me to jump. I ask how high kind of guy, but we know he's not, right? From these chat, we know he's a person. We know he, that he is, you know, it takes a little bit of chipping or, or just rather chipping at the right people, but he can succumb to his, his genuine emotions and his connections with people. So then in my head, I'm like, okay, but if you had somebody like Caliban who was like that ride or die with you, 
why would you grab another person like Calavan if theoretically this person could fall to the same symptom? So it's like you either A, found a way to get rid of anything and everyone that they could ever have a connection to, so they have no loyalty or connection mm-hmm. to anyone other than you, or in Jihad's eyes and in his army's eyes, Lobrick is superior to Calavan because he doesn't have the ability to form those connections. So he like, Amen. you know what I mean? Like literally is like that much ahead. Yeah. I don't know if he's that, that would definitely explain it. Um, but if not, he's just that, you know, he's just that <laughs> so like cool. cutthroat. That's <laughs> it. It's like, you guys like him more. This clearly poses a problem to us. You know, if it was him who met Duan in the beginning, I remember I was saying, I was like, Calavan, that's going to bite you in the ass that you didn't kill her now. That guy would have chopped her head off immediately if that, oh, was, yeah. that, was, that was that dude, you know? 100%. And it's like, to be fair, like, you know what I mean? Probability if, of survival of Jihad's army, 60%. <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, listen, like, he's a total prick, but I am, you know, I... And be honest, Let's like if we want Jihad to win, if that is the <laughs> ultimate goal, like at least in this guy's mind, I get it. He might wind up, there might wind up being this play where it's like, oh, well, you actually if you had actually given a crap about Caliban, now you turn him against you. So like now, like you thought you were so analytical to a fault where it's like, it's not that you made the wrong decision on an analytical, but you kind of forgot to take the human element where it's Mm -hmm. like Caliban isn't going to just like lay over and and like take it, which he's not. And so like, that's kind of where you shoot yourself in the foot. But again, if you're just, especially if he's a damn robot, if you're just weighing probability, then yeah, he makes that choice. Definitely a prick though. In the, in the vein of what we were talking about before, where it's like, what do I, what do we think are strengths and weaknesses of the story? I personally think it would be a little bit riskier of a play to introduce an element of like synthetic non-natural people into this tower. And that like, there's some weird link to again, whether it's the workshop or Jihad's, you know, I don't know, myriad of 1900 items that he's got <laughs> locked up somewhere that we don't know what they are or do. Um, I don't know. I think that would be a pretty risky, but creative like play into the story. Now, how does it, integrate into the the big overall ladder i don't really know but i feel like the the explanation of like oh no he's caliban but like even harder it's like, <laughs> <okay>. yeah <laughs> so, I, go ahead I got, so i got a weird theory it's probably negative percent correct but we don't know what we don't <laughs> know what adore jihad looks like if i'm not mistaken we haven't like seen her at yeah, all. i don't think, I think so. all we know is that to. she's blonde because i thought we there was like a panel that showed the back of her mm-hmm. and she had like a cape and it was blonde hair I so think. i hope I, not i was going i down. personally <laughs> would like her to be a redhead but i mean <laughs> all right well nevertheless <laughs> Um, a weird thing that I was kind of going on in my head of what if he was actually like related to a jury, a Dory Jihad as in like her son in a sense. Now, although she's a princess and they're not allowed to have kids, we do know that they can be born, i.e. Anak. And with that, if a princess were to have a kid, nobody would be allowed to know about that in the slightest, like at all. So that might explain why he there would be no info about him at all because nobody would be allowed to know of his existence. However, since obviously she has a very good relationship with Jihad, almost scary good, he might've allowed it. And because she is, or because he is actually like, you know, born from said princess, he would also be a prodigy in a sense because we know how powerful these princesses are. And she is the chief commander. Uh, she's like the chief commander squadron, yeah. whatever you want to call it. <laughs> so with that said, it would also kind of explain why he would directly go to her and how he would even have a footing to come in this army because of just how powerful he would be. His direct connection to Adori and her direct connection to Jihad in allowing this to even happen in the first place. So although it could be completely wrong, I just it could be an also interesting thing that could happen in a weird like... Um, 
like a double-sided way of jihad, like you're going to allow some like a princess to have a kid and nobody else to. I yeah. I don't know. I feel like that could throw a wrench into things. That would be very interesting. Uh, a spin on that theory, if it was correct, is that it might not be that Dory is so good with jihad that jihad made an exception. It's mm -hmm. that she's lying to him. That's And that we have just gotten the assumption. I mean, to be fair, I'm not saying, you know. Uh, she does say, like, we'll do all three with that order, and that really clued me in to think that it's, like, she's gung-ho jihad. Um, but, you know, in some crazy sense, that's all we've really got. So if that theory was true, there could be something where she's hiding that from him, which would be very relevant. It would flip a lot of things on its head because now mm -hmm. if number one princess is beefing with jihad, Yuri's <laughs> beefing with jihad, oh, you know, uh, Miss Chenny's just batshit, but, like, she seems to want to fight jihad. He's got like a quarter of his princesses that are just going to a wall. But again, that would be assuming that that's her son. Um, we don't know. That's that's totally yeah. off the wall. I think that there could be the possibility. I personally think that it could be that um, Adori, Adori has like her own, her own not squad, but like her own play. Um, like that go that uh, goes between her and Jihad on certain people that are uh, within the army. And that this is actually withheld information from everyone else. Doesn't matter how high ranking you are. Sure. It's like Adori has her own squad and these dudes or this guy is meant to not only do the like, okay, we help Jihad's army win, but it's like if we have another mission in the interim, you also do that. There are actually two objectives to this battle right here. It's not just to defend it. It's also to axe Caliban's squad, mm -hmm. right? Because we don't like how he's like ranking up because they do say, the guy does say that it came from HQ. Yeah. It came from up top. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could see that Adori's like, you're the one for it. Like I know, like Adori mm -hmm. is like super, you know, mm -hmm. Jihad fan and you know that she has her own people that go in and are like, okay, I know I can trust you there are actually two goals to this to this i don't know so yeah. so anyway moving on uh to question eight say my name mate says what do you guys think of bombs power up with the blue shield uh, i thought it was really cool and uh i was happy i was like I was happy that it did break against calavan after like two hits um because i think that would be ridiculously busted if it was just able to block Caliban all day. But I do get pumped up for what we might see in the future with that, because now it's like the blue demon finally, you know, start contributing uh, <laughs> to what's going on. Cause he was being all salty over there and uh, he's like, fine, I'll turn to a shield. And now he has the blade on one side and the shield on the other, which is really cool. I said this during the live stream, but one of bombs perceived weaknesses is that uh, he's kind of squishy, right? He's like kind of glass cannon type thing. Cause he's just like, you know, bone and, and flesh and whatever. Um, so if somebody like an Emon Kell or something just, you know, rolled up right in his face and just started beating his ass, you know, if he couldn't get his bearings. Now, granted, Bomb is like 38 different types of kung fu and, and fighting styles down, but if the guy's just True. like that much stronger, yeah, 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 like yeah. Caliban, um, you might want... So, yeah, <laughs> you're going to want some close quarters combat that isn't just relying on your fist to get the job done. So I think True. this is a really cool addition to his arsenal now, and it kind of just shores up I mean, all of Bomb's weaknesses. Like, Bomb is like, I don't know many weaknesses, at least in a physical fight that he has now. Uh, seems pretty tough to get through to him. So this is going to be cool to see. And if the shield manifests itself even more so, if, you know, because the blades seem to be able to extend, that's level two transformation. Mm -hmm. We saw Yama go up to like eight or something like that or yeah, nine yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Like, damn, if that's a thing, <laughs> how freaking big does the shield get? Is he just have a permanent bubble shield? I don't know. I think the possibilities are endless, and I'm really excited to see where they go. So. Uh, yes, I also agree that it is dope as fuck. Um, yeah, I, we and we've been theorizing for a while, like, oh, you know, he's got the two horns, they're different colors. 
we've seen the you know like you said we've seen the red uh demon contribute so to speak so what is this blue part how does that manifest how does that work um it's defense and yeah it is interesting because bam is a wave controller which we know like just in terms of how they fight and as positions you know you can look to references like han sung um they don't specialize in hand-to-hand combat and they don't have a lot of tools that's why getting the red Thresha upgrade just by itself was a big deal because it gave bam close combat capabilities now he didn't have defensive capabilities which is where you know that was the piece of the puzzle here missing that the blue three has now rounded out so now he can seemingly he's a wave controller so we can fight it at any range that isn't close combat and can now effectively fight at close combat because not only can he attack but he can defend at close mm-hmm. distance so provided that shield either goes through higher transformations which i'm sure it will um and he just get, or he just gets better at using it um yeah he has effectively you know like you said closed at least for me all perceivable gaps in his in, co- in his combat abilities, I don't really, you know, other than, like, you know, some jihad, like, I could just force a sun on you, <laughs> like, you know, and I don't even know if that would work, quite frankly. Um, I can't think of many ways that you could, like, get, ba- or, you know, like, fair enough, if it's a Caliban situation where it's, like, again, this person is just so strong that, like, you. I guess that's the thing, right, is once Bam gets these abilities, like, honed down to a T... I think it's lights out for most people. Yeah, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, no, definitely agree. Um, I, for me, uh, I'm more curious on the future of, of it and what yeah, it's going to look like because, I mean, let's be real, like, it's what can happen in terms of evolution. Like, the shield gets bigger, like, you know, the, the red threesha on the other side, like, the sword gets longer. So I want to see more incorporating onto Bam physically. And, oh, I mean, yeah. we saw that when the shield, like, came to be, the horn on his on, on the other side of his head, right or left, whatever, um, actually, like, hardened in a state. I would find it really, really, really badass if over time and through evolution, it actually physically changes his body where the blue in the shield, like, hardens, and it's like that devil figure, but it's almost like an actual, um, like, armor on his body. And the other half with the red threesha, it's almost like a red flame-esque sort of like Mm -hmm. devil look so it's like a split of like a hardened blue devil and his other half is like almost like a whimsical like flamey red devil and you get both of those sides when he's fighting like if that's what like bam almost turns into that would look pretty badass um and that's like all i think about is how do we evolve and how do we keep on pushing the envelope because physically how are these items going to change with him as he grows and i just feel like that like because they're inside of him, the only way that, like, when the power does get stronger, it has to almost physically take him over in a sense in terms of that physical look. And um, I just really hope he goes that route because I'll be like a little kid going, ee! So, um, <laughs> that, yeah, no, no, that would be, be awesome. That would be cool. I picture you in that <sighs> meme where it's like the girl, the guy in bed, and the girl's like, what is he thinking about? And it's just, bo- it's just Gavin there, and it's like, I wonder how Bomb's shield is going to evolve. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or he's like, I bet he's thinking about other girls. Yeah, and, that's and it. Gavin's like, Yo, it'd be dope if the blue three should like manifest over half of Bam's body. <laughs> like, yeah. And we have a flamey demon on the yeah, other yeah. side. Yeah. Demon, dude, that would look badass. No, it would really look cool. I agree with you. I think that'd be sweet. Oh, amazing. Anyway, next question. What do we got? Uh, Isaiah, right? Yep. Oh, yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you looked at me like. I was like, yeah, who's talking? What now? Uh, question nine comes to us from Qual, Qual, Quil, Quil, Quil uh, sorry about the butchering of your name. The question is, I love the moment that White appears with his power restored. I usually think that this, uh, I usually think that this White is the bad guy, insane mass killer, and Caliban is a good guy, but he's on the wrong side. What do you think of the ability of SIU to create these moments where we cheer for mass killers uh, versus the more honorable character? Do you believe that the if the fight kept going, uh, do you believe that if the fight kept going, 
oh, who would have won? Um, so yeah, right off the bat, I do think it is very cool and a, uh, a tip of the hat to SAU as a writer to sort of be able to spin these characters' personalities into a setting where White, the on-paper bad guy, is actually the person who you're like, oh yeah, I hope you win, like fuck him up. Um, and Caliban, who is the more honorable guy, um, you know, is the bad guy in the scenario. Um, I, I think, you know, I think it's cool. And again, like hearkening back to the strengths question, I think this does speak to the characterization of these these people because White, and like I was saying before, in that say, I don't like a lot of villains in stories, but White is one of my favorite characters in this whole story. And it's because of his personality. It's because of the way he presents himself, this, you know, undeniable charm that he carries him himself and his, his ideals and just the way he fights with where, we, you know, we were saying in the, the live stream, we were joking about it, but like I do genuinely believe it's true. White, just watching White fight is a spectacle. Like, even you know, you know he's he's going at Caliban with all he's got. He's going, he's trying to kill Caliban, and he's even making like weird looks to Bam, like, "Ooh, I'm gonna eat this kid up." And like, you know, party was like, "Oh no!" As the villain, like, I don't want you to do that. That's bad for the heroes. But then when he goes out into the the field and he starts swinging that sword, you're like, "Damn, he looked fine doing it though." <laughs> like, it's 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 hard, you know, for me to, uh, you know, it creates this like weird uh, complexity or, or you know. Um, you know, I can't think of the word, but like this weird back and forth in your mind where you're like, wait, but Caliban is like the more honorable one, but he's also like evil and like he's or he's on Jihad's side. And White's like a crazy serial killer, but he's kind of cool. <laughs> and like, you know, you just don't know what to do. And but I so I do. And then I think, uh, do you believe uh, if the fight could go going would have won? Um, I don't know. I guess there's something to be said for Caliban probably winning in the end, just because I think it was implied that like white, the white was trying to finish or needed to finish the fight quickly because while he had, he had finally achieved his former form and or state, the power like didn't, wasn't going to like, doesn't, didn't last indefinitely. Uh, in other words, much like Bam and Caliban, Caliban might've been able to outwit white in just a sheer stamina fight and like just physically stay up longer than white. Um, so perhaps Caliban probably would have won. Although I don't know. Cause to be honest in that fight, like there really was no clear winner or loser to me. They were both giving each other blows and keeping each other at bay, like pretty consistently and pretty back and forth. Um, so that, I, that was, that's a tough one for me. Mm. Um, but yeah. What do you think? Adam? Yeah, no, it, it's, it's definitely interesting. Um, I, I really like how he does play with these like good and bad people in terms of what the sides that they that they are on and our perspective of the side because I mean for all intents and purposes we haven't like really heard from the horse's mouth I horse's mouth i.e. jihad which is like what makes him evil we've only seen the actions that have like been the byproduct of you know commands or whatever that you assume have come from him so it, it's interesting how we don't like we. Like similar to what Ian usually preaches, we assume he's the the wrong, evil, bad side, but we don't have that all fleshed out. Like we haven't gotten Jihad's explanation for everything that's going on and the reasoning behind what's going on. So it's like you you do make these sides which you believe is bad and wrong, and it's almost like human nature and the stubbornness of it. And it's like if you think that something is right and believe that is something that's right, if somebody who may be evil buys onto that same ideology as you and backs you one hundred percent or is willing to help you, you are able to. To, um, look past the negative um, shortcomings that can come from that person just because of that innate belief that they are on your side. And um, I, I do think that that's just an interesting uh, thing that 
everybody has in terms of like their stubbornness and their thought process. And it's like when you're able to tick that and like really play with it, um, it creates conversations like these and what allows that whole morality and dynamic to like come into it and like really try to decipher what is right and wrong because just based off of any perspective change, the whole thought of what the initial argument of what was right or wrong can be flipped on its head. Um, and that whole thought is really cool and really interesting. And, you know, we, we see it nowadays where it's like you get X mass killer, like a Jeffrey Dahmer per se. And it's like innately, there are people who are going to be interested on his thought process and why he's thinking those things. And even if like you don't agree with them and you shouldn't agree with them because he's a psychopath, it's like, there is like an, there's an innate curiosity that people have towards that. Um, and, if used positively can, you know, detract that from occurring. But if with another perspective, people will be on that side and really follow like, you know, almost like a copycat in that sense where they will follow Sue in that person's perspective. And it's like, it's just really cool how it's like real life scenarios are brought into that and just how we think and how we live our daily lives and come up with our thoughts and our own stubbornness. And you could play with that. And SIU does it really well um and it's enjoyable to read because we can have these conversations so that is my who do you think would have won if they went oh, oh i forgot about that um <laughs> i i am actually with isaiah on this as well in terms of calavan winning um just because literally it's you can never make him stop even if you probably cut off every one of his limbs he will find a way to keep on fighting and it seems like white eventually he did have a limit to his power and seemed like he was reaching that limit and i mean An another thing is he also had help from like Bam and Karaka and like Duan and all these other people. So, I mean, one-on-one, -on -one, I don't think White really stood a chance, um, especially after he already was fighting um, Karaka and Bam being Calavan, and then White eventually made his appearance. But I do think that Calavan would have won due time just because he is like just a literal tank who will never be destroyed. And White does have a limit that he could, that could be reached. Um, and I don't think that he, White had the capability to like actually kill um, Calavan in that moment. Uh, well, I so. do think not like, I, I do think obviously, like I said, the limit thing is a fair play. Um, but actually, I think White was probably the one who was going the most toe to toe with Calavan. I don't really think Bam. And I Calavan have had. thoughts on this one that I'd like to say too. <laughs> okay. Well, because you're gonna say what my thoughts were probably, Go and so when yeah. I'm going through, well, I'd like to answer I'll the question. The sure. I would yeah, like yeah, to yeah. answer the question. I'll go sit down. Yeah, because <laughs> we might we might say the same thing. So I'm just saying I I find it interesting. Um, but to answer the beginning of it. Um, yeah, I think Gavin hit the nail on the head, at least for me. And this is something that I've been, that I've been vocal about. Some people will be like, sit down, you know, but, um, I'm gonna keep screaming it where it's like, I think what you said about people willing to give others a pass because their goals or they coincide with their beliefs and it kind of solidifies it where it's like, we are through, you know, for taking tower God, we're through their perspective of bomb and jihad is bad and blah, blah, blah. So that means that you know, white has done all these things, but you know, white's helping us right now in some facet. So it's like, we're going to give that a pass where it's like, if some, you know, maybe somebody on the other side, like this is a prime example, Calavan has done some questionable shit. And I think his, his, the way he conducts his character 
is is better. It's actually admirable, but I think that his um, moral compass and his and his goals are distorted. Obviously, so in a different world, it could be you know it doesn't take it, to flip of the coin. Caliban could be on the other on our side if his goals align, and we'd probably be like Caliban is probably one of the you know like it's hard to say now because we've already seen what happened. But if you put yourself in a different mindset for a second, or at least try to, you know, I could see a lot of people really cutting Caliban like way more slack, right? In this scenario, and I think. This is something that is played upon so much in this story. So I always, you know, for me personally, I always, I try, I mean, everyone's susceptible to it, like Gavin said, but I try and separate myself and separate my emotional stake in it or whose lens I'm seeing it through and try and just look at the action as as that, right? Just like, regardless of who the person is or what's going down, like why, you know, like what that action was that they're committing and all that kind of stuff. And I think that, it can help sometimes in just in life to be able to kind of try and detach yourself from that at times because what happens is that people, you know, live in an echo chamber a lot, unfortunately, and there are times where somebody maybe is, sure, they're taking your side, but they're doing questionable stuff, you know, along, and that doesn't, those two wrongs, you know, that wrong doesn't make it right. The the ends don't justify the means all, the, you know, in that in that scenario, in my personal opinion. So I think it's like, looking at what your goals are and all that kind of stuff, but still understanding that just because somebody shares those ultimately, that doesn't necessarily make every action they take in service of those goals or just in a general sense, correct. Right. Um, but obviously look at yourself too, in, introspectively and what are your faults before you go out judging everybody else, uh, for sure. But I, I do think it was interesting. And I w I was going to say, um, you know, I'm sure you had more thoughts, so I apologize for cutting you off. But I was going to say that I, I do think Caliban uh, would win personally uh, due to what you guys were saying in this particular scenario. I think that Caliban would win because White explicitly states, my power is not going to last forever. And it seemed that Caliban was just a little too tanky um, within the time span that White had to finish this fight for, I think, White to be able to finish the job. So I think that Caliban wins. However, and this might be kind of in line with what you're saying, maybe not. Um, I actually do think, as much as I like Caliban, uh, I actually do think that White was edging him out in that fight, um, believe it or not. Because for all of the so blows that Tal Caliban took and seemingly being able to shrug off. Um, correct me if I'm wrong here. Caliban didn't inflict any significant damage on white. As far as I remember, uh, anything that was noteworthy to write home about where it was like, white's like, oh fuck. Like I'm going to spit yeah. blood. And it was white was virtually unscathed and Caliban's moments were really badass because he was able to effectively eat 90% of the moves, really 100% of the moves that he did and keep moving forward. So I think that so long as Caliban doesn't, you know, get taken out. Now, I wonder to the extent how Caliban, like if he got all of his limbs cut off, he could just make those explosion limbs. I also wonder how much uh, that takes a toll on him if it does at all, right? If it's like he only has so much gas in the chamber and like making making sure he has an arm at all times is kind of eating into his power. So mm. if you were to cut him down to size, it's like his power significantly weakened just to stay in that state and now he's on a clock, right? Mm. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to know in that, but I, I do think that in terms of raw... Um, finesse and ability in terms of just like fighting style and intricacy. I actually think that white um, was doing, in my personal opinion, it looked as if white was actually on top in that regard. It's just that white's on a clock. And even though he was flashier and still was able to be the better fighter, um, 
you still need to finish Caliban off because if you don't, he's going to murder you. So I think in another scenario, if they were to 1v1 again and White has, I don't know, it depends on how much longer his clock is, but he if he has a substantially longer clock, I think the longer White's clock is, the more of a chance he has of beating Caliban. Is basically so where I'm what, What's it. also interesting is not only, like, like how I said, Caliban was already, he was a little bit worn out. Like, he was already fighting when White made his entrance. But not mm-hmm. only that, he initially had his hand tied behind his back for quite a bit into that fight until it finally came out. And then the next panel is when his arm got cut off. So we didn't see him fight with both arms, although he did make that RoboCop arm like out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, so be it. Um, but also, if you notice, Calvin wasn't also fully invested in that fight, as in he was always paying attention That's to fair. what Bam and Karaka were doing, especially Bam, because don't forget, he couldn't let him go near that wall. And we saw plenty of times where he's just looking at Calvin and White's like, don't look away from me, you come out. Like... <laughs> It didn't seem like his he really cared all that much until mm. White really started going at it when it was too late, where I'm like, okay, but if he had, if uh, at the same note, if you're going to give like the situation for White, if he's able to have all of his power or like have all of his power, have a longer amount of time, if vice versa, you give Calavan the benefit of the doubt of having both of his arms in that moment and being like totally non-distracted, focused. totally focused, yeah. uh, legitimate one-on-one. I again, I do still feel like he might come out on top over White given that scenario, but you know, that, no, really that's know. actually a fair argument and one that I failed to consider. I will, I will concede that. I kind of, I did forget that Calavan was. I guess you could say distracted, but not fully invested in terms of the paneling that we saw in the fight with White, where he was like, bomb is my sole objective. I'm going to take him out. And then when he had the added orders, uh, you could say that the orders kind of reinvigorated him to fight even harder, to be Mm -hmm. fair, I guess, if you wanted to go into it. But yeah, where he was, he seemed to be not all there in terms of like where his head was at with that fight. So I could see that. He like like didn't see White as a threat at all until like he actually started doing damage. mm -hmm. And then that's when he was like, okay, maybe... Maybe I should focus on him a little bit where if it's like if that was his mindset from the rip, given just the stamina that he has, do feel like some stuff could happen. Well, I guess I guess the thing is, though, like, I don't know if Caliban not treating white with his attention makes white any less of a threat. Like white was one of the only people that could hurt and cut off his limb, which like nobody else in this battle was even able to scave Caliban. Yeah, but also don't forget his reasoning in doing that, where in that moment when he wasn't paying attention and, and then looked and he's like, oh, you know, just that thought process in that attack, he's like, oh, well, I can block it this way, but I'll take more damage from my body, so I'll just let him take my arm in that moment. You know, it was almost like a calculated thing. Where well, no, well, like, that, well, that's the thing, though. He didn't say that, like, I could I could, bl- I could, could 100% tank this attack. Mm-hmm. He said either this attack hits my entire body and does more damage, or it takes off my entire arm, but does less damage to my body. Which yeah. states that, like, he, uh, much like he was doing to Bam and, and uh, Karaka, he wasn't able to just, like, shrug off White's attacks. White's attacks were doing mm-hmm. damage to him, and he had to actually, like, pay, pay attention, for lack of a better word, and, like, focus on White's attacks, which to me tells me that White's attacks are. No, no, it does. I just feel like it, I feel like his full focus wasn't there, and that's the thing. Where if if he was fully invested in that fight, I feel like there could have been like he could have altogether blocked that attack, and or I think he would have had the ability to. But given that moment where it was just like, oh, I got to make kind of a split decision thing, because I was kind of caught like I didn't think he was going to be able to do it, and kind of caught off guard. So I just got to let this happen. Like I feel like with a different mindset, with that in mind, it would give him the edge. But I, I don't know. I just again, I don't see White going over the line in terms of killing Calvin. Doing damage, of course, but like cutting the guy's head off, 
I don't, I don't think so. It's you a lemon arm off, dude. You can cut him off, dude. <laughs> I mean, cut him up, but I'm saying Caliban <laughs> can also nuke fist him and wipe, you know, how many of that can he take? Like, well, you know, White was it, cutting it through can, the nuke blast. Yeah. All right, next but argument, saying, who would win, know. Superman or Goku? Go. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I, I First think, off, I think what form is Goku in? Yeah. <laughs> let's just, like, let's get all the rules out. All right, Saitama or Goku? Let's get another three. Who is Saitama? Saitama is Goku. Basically. But, um... Yeah. Anyone have anything else to add on that one? I don't think so, no. Nah. All right. Yeah, we could probably go on for hours about that one. Uh, last question, I believe, is you, Gavin. Oh, is it me? Mm-hmm. Ooh, final question in Dark North. Emperor Dark North. What are your overall thoughts on Tower of God? Also, a little addition by Divine Mage. Uh, I've been holding off on this question until you were caught up. Were you now? But what do you think are the overarching themes of the story after everything you read. We going deep in here. All right, so overall thoughts of the Tower of God. Amazing. I mean, honestly, we wouldn't have covered it if it wasn't a good story, if I'm being completely honest with you. <laughs> that's like, fair. That, yeah. Um, Can't argue that logic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and that's, like, legitimately. I Like, I, I can speak for all of us in terms of we all really like the story. Um, for all... The reasons that we listed above, creativity, world building, characters, you name it, it's it's great. SIU does an amazing job. I'm I'm in it for the long haul. I want to continue with it, especially when SIU um, recovers and comes back. I de- like we're definitely going to follow it. Um, you know, it's great. I, I really can't add more to it myself. I just really think he put it together very well, and he should continue and needs that confidence to continue moving forward and shouldn't be too hard on himself because SIU, you are amazing. Um, in terms of themes, um, in terms uh, overarching themes of the story. Uh, morality is a big one. Um, like, really big. Deciphering what is right or wrong, especially in scenarios that BAM specifically is put into. Um, that I feel like is... That's the most important one for me, I'd say. Um, and also the most interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of, like... I don't want to do just, like, generic themes off the bat. Where it's, like... More, like I mean, that's, uh, a pretty, uh, that's a pretty deep theme it, when, you, when you think about <laughs> no, it. No, 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 I know. But, I mean, like, I'm trying to think of, like, different ones from that differ from other stories. Because, I mean, in some way, shape, or form, I feel like a lot of stories dip in on morality in some way, shape, or form. Although not to the extent that this story does. I'm just trying to think of more, like, extracurricular, outside-the-box things that might have been touched on. Uh, thematically that other ones haven't. So I might need a minute to, th- uh, to sit on it. Yeah. I don't know if you want to take I don't over. really know if Tower of God um, does, like, touch yeah. on any rare, unique, ultra, mm. you know, quirky themes. I think it just hits the themes that it does use really well. Yeah. I mean, because it does touch on That's humanity fair. Fair and enough. what is right and wrong, the morality of life. Um, there's also a lot of play about, like, fate and, like, can yeah, you be a chosen one, um, you know, grant you this sort of like leg up in life and like mm-hmm. should you be given all you know x y and z more things does that even really matter is fate this you know this frozen rock solid thing is it like you know flowing like water interchangeable all that stuff um but it, yeah i don't think those things are are like oh, i've never seen that done in the story mm-hmm. but i just think tower of god does really do those things justice and does do them well um thoughts overall on the story most a lot of what gavin said i absolutely agree with um my thing too is that tower of god has felt, you know, and this is sort of piggybacking off what I was saying about the themes. Tower of God doesn't tell like a story its story in a unique way, but it does tell it in a very, very refreshing way. So like again, I there's not things that we've seen and, and read about in the story like aren't like I've never seen that happen to a character. 
Um, but all the things the Tower of God does decide to hammer down on, it hammers on that nail 100%, at least in my opinion. And I think that it really does do justice to the themes, the lessons, and the journey that it's trying to go on. And I think that just the the refreshing element of the, you know, all the additive bits of like the really cool uh, lore and world building, the really cool uh, plot <coughs> and premise and universe that the story takes place in these interesting characters and their motivations and how, you know, one of the things that I will always remember is, you know, again, we're an anime first here. That's how we, we started on this. Um, I didn't feel about like the main cast of characters the way that I would normally, like if, you know, if we had just picked some random anime and it's like, all right, you know what I mean? Cause like the main characters are usually all written kind of to a T where it's like, that's the guy you gravitate towards, or that's the guy you really mess with or, you know, whatever you've got your like, you know, I don't know, one or two, you know, main characters in the group here. Maybe there's a side character you like, and then that's kind of it. You roll on your way. Everybody else is who they're about. Maybe you like the villain. Maybe you don't. Um, these characters all really, I mean, like, and, and this is an, another play on the whole, you know, uh, humanity morality thing. This story really does play with its characters in the sense that, like, you could take a lot of these characters and, like, whether you think somebody is good, evil, right, or wrong, in, in a manner of speaking, is really subjective. Because it's like, all most people are trying to do is climb this tower. That is not like, it's not saying, you know, there is no rule here that's like only good guys climb the tower. So if you're not climbing the tower, that means you're a bad guy. And like, you know, bad guys only kill people who are trying to climb the tower. There are good and bad, everybody's doing the same thing. So it, it, it boils down to how you decide to get there and what you're willing to risk give up and or sacrifice in order to get up there, you know, whether that's at the expense of people, you know, or, or not power, like whatever, all this stuff. Um, but I, I really do like the, you know, again, just the refreshing element that it takes. There's a lot, there's enough in here where I honestly feel like SIU does very clearly respect the, his audience and the readers um, to tell them a story that takes themes honestly and like, you know, with a, a legitimate approach um, and you know, it's interesting and it's refreshing. It's cool. Yeah. Uh, well said. Uh, I would say one of the themes it's kind of under the umbrella of fate, which I was going to say as well, I think is a big one, but I think a sub theme of that would be finding yourself. Maybe there's a better way I could phrase that. Uh, but we just talked in our stream the other day with bonehead about bombs moment where he draws the line in the sand oh, yeah, and yeah. he comes to grips with his old version of viol mm. and all that kind of thing and becomes his own person. It's like growing pain. Yeah. Like becoming your own person. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and finding your purpose, finding your meaning and your purpose and, and what makes you human, what makes you real um, and have a sense of being and meaning. And uh, a bomb obviously exemplifies this. And this ties into fate, right? If you're going to be chosen by this sort of, they call it luck a lot of times in the tower. But now that we're getting introduced to fate more, I think that it might be fate that they're talking about. And how do you escape that? Can you escape it? How do you become your own person in the meantime? I mean, there's a couple characters too that come into my head when this sort of thing happens. Um, I think that one of the characters also that does it would be Hockney, right? And his, uh, he's trying to find the other parts of this painting to really uh, pursue that sense of meaning that he had. I'm going to follow along this journey and try and find myself in the meantime. I think Battis would be another example of that from the hidden floor. Um, you know, coming to grips with the fact that it's like, okay, I'm a data person, but like I'm still a person at the end of the day, etc. I even think Kuhn um, has been a big one in this where it's like he's tried to find meaning in what he's doing and he's kind of just following Bomb to see where that takes him and, and that's where he's kind of found a lot of his meaning, right? And also escaping under this, this oppressive thumb especially for the family head children uh, of having a family head guy as or girl as their 
granddaddy, poppy, whatever. Um, sorry, I could have worded that so much better, but my brain's turning off. Point is, is that they are kind of confined to this predestined fate and mm-hmm. that it, a lot of times it's not always the grass is greener on the other side. There's a lot more to these things that you might think. It's very intricate. And someone like Kuhn, to tie up my example here, is trying to find himself throughout the course of this story, uh, just as many other people are doing throughout the course of it. Like, what's wrong? What's right? Uh, another one would be uh, Jin Sung. Obviously, I, I think his, not obviously, but um, the, a lot of his perspectives had changed once he had met Bomb and he had kind of taken a new spin on life. After This is someone who slaughtered his whole clan. Um, and for God knows what reason, we never got the answer on that. You know what I mean? Well, he might, yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> he might have been like some, you know, he's yeah, pretty yeah. hardcore. And so, again, he has these kind of changed perspectives when it comes to Bomb now, right? And uh, kind of conducts his life differently. I could go on, but I think that is a theme, a sub-theme anyway, uh, working off of fate is kind of finding yourself and your meaning and what it means to be human at the end of the day. Um, what are your over- overall thoughts on Tower of God? That's a very good story. Like Gavin said, it was uh, it was blunt, but honestly, well, very well put. If the story wasn't good, we wouldn't be covering it. <laughs> and that's a fact. I mean, you could say it's like, oh, some of the YouTubers, like they'll sell out or maybe they'll cover something they don't like or whatever. But you're not covering a story as extensive as this for as long as it's going, covering the anime, having weekly discussions, going in on Tower God and producing like three to four videos a week on this for the past year if we genuinely did not like this story. Because that just seems like way more trouble than it's actually worth (laughs) at that point. So I do think it's well said that, you know, we wouldn't be covering to this extent if we didn't genuinely like it. I do. I think it's very refreshing. Like Isaiah was saying, um, it does a lot of things very well. The art just exponentially gets better and better. But even in the beginning, the art suffering, I think that the overall premise and the the lore, the world building, all the pluses that we gave Tower God, like in previous questions, really worked in its favor to try and and successfully get me personally engaged in what was going on in this world, in the characters, in the tests, in what in the tower itself, all these kind of things. Um, it's had some really crazy moments that have taken us for a roller coaster of a ride, and uh, I've been happy for it. You know, I've been thankful that SIU has put his life and limb literally on the line to uh, try and produce this story for ten years plus, going strong. And uh, I'm really excited for you know the future of this story, um, you know, anime and webtoon alike. Uh, to be honest. Um, all things considered though, I am so glad that we caught up <laughs> because like, you know, SIU needed his break obviously and all that kind of stuff. I feel like we needed a little bit of a break getting out of that, you know, that continuous rut of, you know, what we were doing week by week. Uh, but all things considered, it's been, it's been a really fun ride and, um, can't wait to continue it. But anyway, folks, that is our questions for part one of our discussion. 10 questions. Hopefully you guys enjoyed this. Really, it was like 20 with some of the added questions. You all slip in there. I see you, but it's all right. We'll give you this one, right? It's the last one. Got my eyes on you. Um, but anyway, hopefully you guys enjoyed it. If you did, make sure you're smashing like on this video. Subscribing to the channel. If you're not subscribed and you made it this far, I don't know what the hell to tell you. <laughs> Hit that bell if you haven't already because that may be something you didn't do yet. So definitely do that so you don't miss any future content from the channel. Uh, hit us up in the comments down below what you thought of our discussion, the questions, etc. 
Make sure you guys are referring to our description down below uh, where you can catch our links that will just help you support the show and help us in turn. Uh, AOA Reacts being the number one. That is our secondary channel for our live reactions and where you can find the Tower of God live read-through pertaining to the last 10 chapters and everything before it as well. So you definitely don't want to miss that. Big shout out to our patrons as well. Uh, we had Stoic. We had Nathan. We had uh, Midduit as our acolytes of anime. So thank you very much to all of our patrons. We love you all from the bottom of, your heart, of our heart and uh, for your support that you give us. Um, comment of the day, don't have one right now because we don't have it up on screen. <laughs> so I'm going to actively shoot myself in the head with a Nerf gun uh, multiple times because oh, okay. I'm upset That's about good. it. See? Yeah, what I did there. Um, but in the meantime, while Gavin finds that, would you like to formulate a question for the people Gavin's breathing heavy? He's like, you, you son of a bitch. I thought you were just going to skip it. I can't do it. We're so close. Do you have a question, Isaiah? Because you've been uh, pretty good with these lately. A uh, question, since we just finished Tower of God. Um, what is your favorite thing about Tower of God? Yeah, no, it's generic, but it's good. Uh, let us know because we kind of went into some of the weaknesses, the strengths, what our overall impressions were with the series, yeah. etc. Uh, what are like? yeah? What are some of your favorite moments? Like whether it's a character, you know, my favorite X, and just go off. And we're curious to hear Absolutely. all those things and answer that you know, and all those questions that you guys uh, posed. Like, how would you answer some of those things? You know, okay. So we have a comment of the day also that we just pulled up on the fly uh, by Mini Mustache, uh, who I recognize from. From mm -hmm. our Twitch chat because that name is hilarious. Um, the name of Jihad's commander in chief is uh, a doorknob, <laughs> a Dorothy and Dorsey, something like that. <laughs> I know what you mean. And Dory Jihad, uh, which was the uh, Dory Jihad, was what Isaiah asked last time. Uh, on the idea of Kuhn making a deal with the devil, referring to White, quote, if I had a nickel every time one of Bomb's allies went behind his back to restore White's power in order to save him from Jihad's army, I would have two nickels, which isn't a lot of money, but it's still weird that it happened twice. <laughs> <laughs> This is a great comment. <laughs> I got you, mini mustache. Don't worry. That was, you, that was really you. good. I'm not going to lie. That was a great comment. And, uh, you know, it really is ironic because White was set up as, like, almost the major antagonist of the story for a hot minute there. And for people to just keep on going behind Bomb's back and being like, you know what, White, yeah. cut loose, well, bro. The, whatever you got to do. people right? in the story. Right, like realize they're like, all right, White's like kind of crazy, but he really is a lesser of two evils right now. Like we got big, big Don Calavan at the door, literally punching everything that moves, and he's like not listening. He's not gonna let us talk our way out of this. White might. It's so like let's just stick White on Calavan yeah. and hopefully get out of this scot free. Calavan's big Don swinging. We gotta freaking put White out there to fight him. No, for real though, no, that is actually hilarious. Oh, that's good. Oh man, great comment. Thank you for watching till the end of the video as well. So. Anyway, folks, that's all we have for you today. But until next time, we will catch you all on the flip. Peace. Peace. Pasta. Ninjas are samurais. Blaze of the cool eyes. Find me in the leaf of the cloud. Screaming out Bankai. We just some ghouls, though. Who likes seeing parts fly? They like what you're saying. Goma got more through the storylines. I tested your neck from the start. My hunters gonna come for your heart. I promise you'll land in my boulevard. Left them in one piece. No.